Our last time together, we were in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 36 and 37. Speak of Israel's current state, and we covered that material last week. I just kind of wanted to quickly uh, review some of that before we begin our study today, which is going to be focused on the future state of Israel. But before we get there, I decided perhaps it would be wise for us to first take a look at where things are presently. Take a look at this map, if you will, the map of Israel. Israel is no larger than the state of New Jersey. It's a relatively small region in the Middle East and surrounded by a very large population, many times more people are against Israel in those regions around the nation of Israel than exist within the state of Israel. Israel has a population now of around 9 million people, of which around 7 million are Jews. The rest are Arabs or a mix of other nationalities and faiths. But everywhere around them, they are surrounded by Islam, Muslim nations. Keep in mind that there are two major groups of Muslims in the world. One group are the Sunnis. You don't see it on the map, but right around in this area below Jordan is the very large nation of Saudi Arabia. They are Sunni. They're a much more moderate group of Islam, Muslims, than the other group, which are known as the Shiite Muslims. And I'm going to show you a map a little bit later on to show you where the majority of they, those people are, are residing. However, today I want to focus first of all, in this little small strip of land known as Gaza. It is where the Palestinian refugees have been given land, property, by the Israeli government, given to them with a promise that they would leave Israel alone. That land was given to them many, many years ago now, and, of course, you know that that's certainly not been a very fair exchange because although Israel held up to their part of the deal, the Palestinian Authority, back then led by Arafat, did not keep their end of the bargain. And they have continually been a problem, a thorn in Israel's side. The world is divided. There are many who support the nation of Israel. God spoke regarding his people, the nation of Israel, to Abraham before Israel came into existence. And God said, I will bless those who bless you, speaking to Abraham, and I will curse those who curse you. And again, the world is divided. There are those who are on the side of the Palestinians who think that the nation of Israel is performing all kinds of genocidal uh, things that are, are, are totally wrong and false. And then there are those who support Israel, which, by the way, I am one of them. If you are not in agreement with that, I'm sorry if you feel that way, but I strongly oppose those who oppose the nation of Israel because I want the blessing of Abraham. And I suggest to anyone who would be within earshot of my voice today 
That is what you all need to do if you want to be on the side of God, because that's where God has spoken. This land is his land. They gave up some of it, as I said, to the people in Gaza so that they could live in harmony, in peace. In Psalm 120, which we read last week, the psalmist says, I am for peace, but they are for war. The psalm that was read this morning, 140, and by the way, that just happens to be sequential that we're doing this. It happened to fall on this day that that psalm was written, read rather, and read it again. It's all about the enemies of the Lord, enemies of Israel, coming against them for war. And that is what is taking place today. They are now involved in a land war. President, or rather Prime Minister Netanyahu has spoken just yesterday that we have entered, he said, into the second phase of this war that has been begun by Gaza, not by Israel, but begun by the terrorists in Gaza. The Palestinian people are poor and they're destitute. They have not been provided for. As much as the world would like to think, Hamas has taken almost all of the money that has been given to the Palestinians and used it for weapons, not for humanitarian aid. The people of Palestine are in a very, very, very bad place. But Israel, although they are attacking Gaza, make every possible effort to warn the citizens of Gaza that an attack is going to be made at specific locations Get out of there, because we do not want to harm the people. We just want to go after the terrorist organization Hamas. And that's what they're doing. Now, now they have begun that ground war in Gaza, and they are doing that kind of cleanup. Their second phase has to do with the hostages. They want to find and rescue the hostages. They know pretty much where most of them are being held. And it's a very difficult maneuver that they are trying to accomplish, and they covet your prayers for that. But that's, not, that's just the beginning. Of course, you all know that the Hamas, which is the organization that has infiltrated that area of the Gaza Strip, are also represented elsewhere. And there are other factions of Muslims, Shiite primarily, who are against th- this invasion into Gaza. They generally do not want to support Hamas. They're not really concerned about Hamas, but they have a common goal, and that is the annihilation of the Jews. You may have seen signs, people holding signs up in protests, Palestinian protests, and they say, from the sea to the river, or from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. What they're saying is, we want to go from the uh, from the Euphrates River, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, and wipe out Israel. They don't want Israel to be in existence as a nation. So, Hamas is a formidable enemy, but they're not the major concern of the nation of Israel right now. The major concern is up in this area, in Lebanon and Syria, where another very strong and dangerous element of Muslim peoples are located. Funded by Iran, the Hezbollah may very well be striking soon. 
They have said that if Israel goes into Gaza, they will start launching their rockets. There have been a few incidences on a daily basis, but they've got way more rockets than even Israel knows about. As far as I can tell from what I've read, they have as many many as 250,000 rockets aimed at Israel. Now, Hamas has rockets. They're continuing to fire them on a regular basis. Those rockets are toys compared to what Hezbollah has. They're not well-guided. They're not very long-range. They're not very effective. A lot of the rockets that are launched from Hamas fall into Gaza instead of Israel. That's not the case with Hezbollah. The rockets that have been provided Hezbollah are Iranian-sourced rockets with very strong engines to launch them at very long distances that can reach anywhere in Israel and accurately because of the technology that Iran has put into those rockets. Those things are happening behind the scenes. They're preparing. They will choose a time when Israel is at its weakest state in their eyes, and they will strike. And they're not making that decision on their own. Iran is behind the scenes here. We know that for a fact. We know that Iran is supplying a lot of weaponry and personnel in Syria and in Lebanon. That's why Israel has been bombing Aleppo and Damascus airports so continuously and other places that they believe are sources of military equipment that are being prepared to be shipped into Lebanon for the Hezbollah organization. We have in the West Bank a relatively quiet area right now. They're part of the Palestinian uh, existence in the land, but they're under a different authority. And they're not really ready to enter into a battle with Israel, but they are causing some problems. And they may very well be willing to allow other Muslims to enter through Jordan into the West Bank area to open up a third front. So Israel has the first front in Gaza, a potential second front in Lebanon, Syria, and the Golan Heights, which is that brown area right there, and also the West Bank. Fourth front, possibly, is down below Jordan, down below Saudi Arabia, actually, near the bottom of the Red Sea um, Gulf of Hormuz, the land that is known as the country of Yemen, where the Houthis are located. They have already launched some rockets from Yemen. They were intercepted by U.S. forces in the, in the Red Sea and also by Saudi Arabia. Only a handful of them, but they're testing their ability to launch into Israel, should they have opportunity or reason to do so. So that's the current state of affairs in the nation of Israel. Remember, chapters 36 and 37 of Ezekiel spoke of the fact that Israel would be brought into the land in the latter days. And that's exactly what took place. It cannot be denied. Israel was created as a nation in 1948 because God said it would happen. And it came about just exactly and in the right time that God had uh, proposed and prophesied. It was in 1948, when David Ben-Gurion stood in Israel and named 
the nation that they were just about ready to, to found. This is Israel. And it is today. It's interesting that David Ben-Gurion chose the name Israel for the name of their country based on Ezekiel 36 and 37. Prime Minister Netanyahu was very, very familiar with those chapters in Ezekiel. You may remember, in the time of the Roman Empire, way back at the very beginning of our present era, they defeated the Jews in a place called Masada, high hill occupied by a group of faithful Jews, and the Romans finally were able to overwhelm those defenders of Masada. But by the time Romans got into the fortress where the Jews were located, they found them all dead because they had decided that it was, would be better for them to commit suicide than fall into the hands of the Roman army. Masada stood as a very, very important place in Jewish history. Today, Jews that are brought into the uh, army, navy, air force of Israel are reminded of the victory that once was Masada and the cost that resulted in that. They do that to point out to the people that are coming into the service in the land of Israel that there is a price to pay for the freedom that we have. But at Masada, there was found something of great importance. You've heard of the Qumran scrolls in Jordan. Many scrolls were found, and they're amazing because many of them were Scripture. And the Scripture that was primarily used by whoever was in those Qumran caves was very important to them. And the Scripture is very, very antiquated. Those scrolls date back even before the earliest manuscripts of the Old Testament Scriptures that we had had up to that point. But in 1950 and 51, 52, those scrolls were discovered. And, for instance, the book of Isaiah, almost in its entirety, was found in those scrolls, and they are verbatim the same as any manuscripts that we have presently up to that point. But at Masada, there was another scroll that was found. And that scroll happened to have the entire content of chapters 36 through 39 of the book of Ezekiel. It was found around the same time as the Qumran scrolls. But it's amazing to me that God revealed that portion of the Old Testament Scriptures to the modern state of Israel when they were first established. And I don't think it was coincidence. I've often said that coincidence is a word that doesn't really have any meaning to those of us who have faith in Christ. It is the same for the Jews. In fact, there was a Jewish saying that somebody had quoted, something like, coincidence is not a kosher word. They neither believe in coincidences nor accept the, op the, the, the opinion that things can happen by chance. They believe very much. For the most part, those of the Jews who still believe in God, 
that God does things for purpose and God is in control. And we teach that, yes, that is absolutely true. God is in control and He is not taken by surprise with any of these events. Now, before we get into Ezekiel chapter 38, I want to say one last thing about the current state of the nation of Israel. They are not yet, they are not yet ready for what is to come. Up until this recent series of events, Israel felt very much at peace. They were confident, and perhaps overly so. They believed that the state of Israel was prosperous, and it was, and still is. They believed that the state of Israel was well defended. It was, and it is. They had every confidence that there would be no threat that they could not handle. That is different than what they experienced in the early days of their existence. In 1948, they depended on the Lord, and they saw miracles take place, and the nation was founded. The 1967 war, God provided, and again, did many things that they looked at later and said, God helped us. In 1973, the Yom Kippur War, there were many who realized that God did miracles to prevent the Syrian army and the Egyptian army from overwhelming them. God defeated their enemies. And they were absolutely convinced that God was helping them out. The most recent encounters have changed. Their opinion now is that they are the ones who have been able to defend themselves. They've no longer taken into consideration that God is on their side. For the most part, the nation of Israel feels very, very confident in their ability to defend themselves. They've got the Iron Dome. They've got the Iron Laser. They've got the David Sling. They've got weaponry for defense on all their borders. They feel safe. They're prosperous. They have been blessed as a nation, militarily, economically, they were feeling very strong. But then things began to change. Just recently, all of a sudden we find this a voice that's being spoken in Israel that had never been spoken before. And there was a vast number of Israelis who were against their own government. Remember the situation with Prime Minister Netanyahu just like it was with our President Trump. They hated him. They turned against him. And there's a whole faction of very, very progressive leftist-mind people who are against what is going on in Israel today. When the Palestinians invaded those kibbutzes in Israel and killed 1,400 Israelis, and took over 200, now 230 known prisoners, it changed things. Now, once again, Israel seems to be united with a common cause. So that's the current state of the nation of Israel. The majority of them, unfortunately, are agnostic or atheists, 
but they have a common goal, preservation. They think they can do it themselves. They're wrong. But what they don't know yet is that God has not forgotten his people. Ezekiel 38 and 39 are all about that. So we're going to look today at the future state of the nation of Israel. If you go to the next slide, Richard, I'd like to open that up for us. Okay, Norman, what did you do with the pointer? Huh. Well, that's okay. What I just wanted to show you is the fact that in this exploded view of the Middle East, you find many, many nations that are surrounding the nation of Israel. Notice how small Israel is compared to Saudi Arabia, to Egypt, to Iraq, to Turkey. Those are significant things. Again, all of them Islam. Two factions of Islam to take note of, primarily. The Sunnis, led by the majority in Saudi Arabia, they're actually not doing too badly with regard to their recognition of Israel. Remember the Abrahamic Accords that President Trump began to work with the various nations around Israel. Egypt and Jordan had already made peace agreements with Israel, but then we had the uh, United Arab Emirates, UAE, and Bahrain and Morocco and even Sudan beginning to show favor to Israel. We'll get to that a little, little bit later. But there's also very much attention being focused on Saudi Arabia beginning to say, we are willing to normalize our relations with Israel. That is huge. They are the leaders of the Sunni peoples in the entire region. The problem is, Turkey are also Sunni. The president of Turkey wants to have his own say in the matter. And he wants control of all of the Sunni peoples instead of Saudi Arabia. He's fighting for that. He wants to establish his own leadership role. It's interesting to note that not that many years ago, Turkey was a friend of Israel a member of NATO still, but they were friends with Israel. That changed when Erdogan came into power. He's part of what was known then as the Muslim Brotherhood. He is now an enemy. He wants to annihilate the nation of Israel. Sudan, although they had made earlier on this year, efforts to normalize with Israel. That's all changing. With the invasion that has just taken place into Israel and the slaughtering murder of so many innocent people, they look at it as a victory for Islam. So Sudan is no longer involving itself with the normalization process. Saudi Arabia has basically put all of that on hold. 
However, they're still not condemning Israel as the other nations are, so they're a player in the last days, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Iraq is kind of a mix between Sunni and Shiite. Nobody knows which direction they're going to go, really. But there's a great influence of the Shiite in Iraq that are causing problems for United States bases in Iraq, for instance. One of the reasons that Sarah Lawhorn, our missionary who was spending uh, her time in northern Iraq with the Yazidis, she can't go back there yet because things are so hot and dangerous. So she's in California waiting to be able to get back to her ministry and longs to be with the people she loves. Can't do that yet. So there are all kinds of things that are happening around this whole region. And of course, I mentioned Iran. I've mentioned Sudan. What you can't see on the map, just west of Egypt, on the left side of the map before you, is the nation of Libya. Sudan and Libya, probably Algeria, Iran, Turkey, and a few other places that we'll discuss in a moment are lining themselves up for something big. These events that are taking place now in this present hour are not Ezekiel 38 and 39. Turn with me there and let's look at who it is that will be coming against the nation of Israel in the future. Ezekiel chapter 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, this is Ezekiel prophesying now, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and of Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. These are the adversaries of Israel in the future. Not Gaza, not Hezbollah, not the West Bank, not Syria, but Turkey, Libya, which in some of your translations would be put, the Sudan, which in some of your translations may be Ethiopia or Kush. Those are ancient names. They have slightly different meanings in Ezekiel's day than they do now, and we'll go into that a little bit more deeply. Iran and another nation in the far north, which is what Ezekiel begins with in this passage that we've looked at this morning so far. Take note of the fact that 
God's word says specifically in chapter 38, verse 2, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Who is this Gog, and what is Magog, and the other names that are given in that passage, Tubal and Meshach? Where are they located? There have been many who have looked at this, and because of certain certain amount of uncertainty, the question is still, what are these nations that are being referred to here, and who is Gog? Later on in the text, we'll find that he refers to this same nation as being at the farthest northernmost point. The implication is then, since if you look at a modern day map, Russia is the northernmost country, then it's very right, I believe, for us to make this assumption. Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal are most likely Russia. And there are some who have tried to say, well, Meshach is an early name from Moscow. I don't think you can make that claim. But it does not exclude the likelihood, the most likely possibility is that he is referring to the nation of Russia. But who is Gog? Is it Putin? Many thought it was Khrushchev back in the day. Or Brezhnev. Many think it's Putin today. I think perhaps it's not. In the book of Daniel, Daniel had a vision. And the Gabriel angel, Gabriel, came to him and explained the vision to him. But there was a long delay. Gabriel had been sent by God immediately when Daniel started praying. But it was many days later, 21 days later, before Gabriel came with an answer to Daniel's prayer. And he explained to Daniel the reason for that. He said, I was sent immediately, but the prince of Persia intercepted me. And I needed the help of Michael, another angel, the archangel, to help him so that he could get the message to Daniel. Prince of Persia. Obviously a reference to one of the angels that fell with Satan in charge of the region then known as Persia. And by the way, it was known as Persia until 1935. Are you familiar with what the nation is called today? Iran. Persia in the Old Testament even up till 1935, was known as Persia until then, and now it's called Iran. The prince of Persia was an angelic being. So does it not make sense, because Ezekiel was around the same time, or a little bit earlier actually than Daniel, that he would be referring to, referring to another angelic being, the prince of Rosh. Now, some of your translations, instead of saying the Prince of Rosh, refer to that passage with the phrase, the chief prince. Because Rosh in Hebrew means head or chief. And 
they say that it is nothing to do with a nation, even though Rosh may sound like Russia. The argument of the translators was, no, it's not a nation, it is an adjective, and it's an adjective that uh, emphasizes the fact that he is a chief prince. The problem with that is, in the original Hebrew language, the word Rosh is not an adjective, it is a noun. So it is proper, I believe, as in the translations that most of you have, Rosh is named as a noun instead of as an adjective. And so it's right, I believe, still for us to see that this must be the nation of Russia. And you can go through many arguments about the various other places. Again, I mentioned Meshach, Tubal, some say that that's up in the area of the Siberian region of Russia, Tubalsk, which is another Russian city. It could be, I doubt it, but it doesn't matter. It's still Russia as far as what we can see from the text. But who are the other players? Reading down the list, it tells us who. In verse 5, it says Persia. And again, we've already said, we know that Persia is modern-day Iran. No question there. The next one is Ethiopia. Some of your translations say Kush. Well, that isn't the modern-day Ethiopia. As I pointed out, it is the nation that is just south of Egypt that once was Ethiopia, that territory was once known as Kush, is now Sudan. Keep in mind that Sudan, by the way, is... I found it. There it is. Sudan is basically split into two. The northern half of Sudan is governed by a very radical Islamic government. The southern half of Sudan is governed by a Christian government. The northern Sudan has actively tried to wipe out the Christians out of Sudan. They want the whole nation for themselves. They haven't been successful. We support a group of Christians down in that southern area of Sudan as a missionary work that we support. And we get regular messages from the leadership of that effort. And it's a terrible, terrible thing that's been happening there. The world has overlooked it. As in many other places, the world overlooks those kinds of things that go on, propagated by Muslims against other groups like Christians or even against other Muslims. The Shiites and the Muslim minority, the Sunnis, are oftentimes at odds with one another. And they fight. Many Muslims have been killed by other Muslims. Far more Muslims have been killed by other Muslims than those that have been killed by the nation of Israel. The UN doesn't care about those things. They still are willing to take a stand against the nation of Israel. Don't support the UN because they don't support the nation that we support. So we have Russia, we have Iran, we have Sudan, we have Libya, which is also listed in my translation as Libya in some of the translations that you may have put. It's the ancient name of the present-day Libya and possibly including Algeria, which is even further to the west. Most of northern Africa is Islamic. Again, Egypt's not mentioned in this list. They now are at peace with 
Israel. Jordan is not mentioned in this list. They are at peace with Israel. Syria is not mentioned in this list. They're not at peace with Israel. However, the other nations that are mentioned in this passage are all forming forming in Syria in bases that are now managed by Russia or by Turkey or by Iran within that territory of of Syria. Syria is letting them stage their armies in that location. Why? Because it is so very, very crucially important for this war that is being spoken of by Ezekiel to become a reality. Again, this current conflict is not the Ezekiel War. I also want to mention to you that the Ezekiel War is not the same as the war that is referred to in the book of Revelation that we know as the Battle of Armageddon. I want to point that out because there are many who believe that to be the case. I want to point out just a few things. There are many reasons why I believe that they are not the same. The first is the players. The Ezekiel War has a limited number of nations that are coming against Israel. The second is the location of the battle. That little strip of land that's colored in the red color, again, is the nation of Israel. And on the Mediterranean side of the nation of Israel, between the Mediterranean Sea and the Galilean Sea, there's a very large valley known as Megiddo. That is where the Battle of Armageddon is going to take place in the valley of Megiddo. And the book of Revelation is very clear. that all nations will be involved in that battle. And they're not coming really against Israel. It's basically the Antichrist representing the Western nations fighting against the Eastern nations, primarily represented by China and others who are with them, and they come together in Israel to fight against one another, and Jesus stops the battle. And it's there that it says in the book of Revelation that blood will flow for many, many miles up to the horse's bridle from the valley of Megiddo down to Jerusalem. This war that we're going to be looking at as we continue does not take place there. It actually takes place right along this area in Jordan and the eastern side, what is known as the West Bank. That's where the armies that come against Israel will be launching their attack. We know the players. We know that the battle is still yet to come. We know that it's not Armageddon. But what else do we know about the battle? Let's read on in chapter 38, verse 7, where it says, Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your comp- companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. Talking against to, again to Gog, After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people 
on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. See what he's saying here to Ezekiel. There's coming a time when this invasion is going to take place when the nation of Israel believes they are living in safety. In some of your translations, that word safety may be at peace. Well, the word for peace in the Hebrew language is shalom. The word used here in verse 8, at the end of the verse, they dwell safely, is a different word. They dwell confidently. Remember I was talking about the fact that Israel felt very confident in their ability to protect themselves. Almost like an overconfidence, a cockiness. That's the way the word is utilized that is given here in this text. They were overconfident. They were cocky. They were, or would be, self-sufficient. I believe this battle that we're facing today is a prelude to the Ezekiel 38 war. And I believe that Israel will succeed. And perhaps there will be a time when there will be indeed a sense of safety. They will have conquered their enemies. They will have defeated the foes. They will rest in safety. But the Word of God says they will say peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's not over yet for them. There's more trouble ahead. Ezekiel 38 is only one of those things that are going to take place in the future that will cause the world to take another look at what's going on in the Middle East and say, what is happening? And that's where you and I come in. In all of this, all of the things that are taking place in the Middle East, what does the church have anything to do with with regard to those things? It's, it's very, very important for us to understand that though we're not part of what is being spoken of in these passages, we know what is going to happen because God has said. And I emphasize over and over and over again, the Word of God is to be understood whenever possible in a literal sense. If it makes common sense, that is the sense in which it should be understood. God Himself in Ezekiel, or rather in Isaiah chapter 46 and in 47 of Isaiah, in more than those two places, but in those two places in particular, God challenges His people. He says, look, I am your God, and I can prove it to you, God says, because I have shown you what has already taken past, that is uh, taken place has already come to pass. I spoke of those things. And what is yet to be happening will happen because I am God. And I've shown you both the things that have taken place and the things that will take place to let you know that at who is, that is who I am. I am God, he says, and there is no other besides me. And he shows the people of Israel that proof of his existence as their God by showing them things yet to come. Now think about this. If God says so adamantly that He has shown you things to come to prove Himself to be God, then why would we ever think that it was right for us to spiritualize, make things into an allegory that God says is going to happen? There are many in the church today that say that battle that is spoken of in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is an allegory. It's, it's not going to happen physically. It can't be so. There were many who believed that it couldn't be so because at the time Israel didn't exist. But now Israel does exist. And so God is already proving He is God because of what He has said. 
will take place. And the things that he has said that will take place are coming to pass even as we speak. And I'm so grateful that God has revealed these things to us, that we have this open book before us that we can see God is at work, God is involved, God is in control, and God will accomplish all that He has said He will do because He is God. And we are His people now in this present time proclaiming these things to a lost and dying world that live in darkness, that will not open their eyes to see the truth. But when things start happening around the world, when things start happening and getting hotter and hotter in the Middle East, there will be, I believe, a mighty move of God's Spirit and people will start to turn and ask questions. What is going on? And we've got an answer. We've got the truth. We know what God is doing because He has said so. So that's the advantage we have as believers. The church is here for such a time as this, I believe. Let us open our eyes to every opportunity to share the truth and bless and guide people to a safe place. But God will indeed accomplish these things. He says in verse 9, You will ascend, again speaking to Gog, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord your God, On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder and take booty, to search, stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and in, against the people gathered from all the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. He's talking about a prosperous Israel. That's exactly what they are. They have much going for them. And Russia is lacking. Iran is Lacking. Turkey is lacking. What are they lacking? An economy that's stable. And there's a great jealousy against Israel because their economy is so strong. And there's another thing. It has to do with natural gas. We've talked about this in the past, and I want to mention it briefly before we move forward. There is a very large natural gas field offshore of Israel. It's called Leviathan. Some 65 trillion tons, I believe, of natural gas. They're ready to pump it. They just need to build the line that will go from those fields underwater to Greece and then from Greece to mainland Europe. And once they get that connection established, and they did begin work on it, it's been halted for a while, but I believe it will continue. Once they do that, they will be in direct competition with Russia. Russia supplies Europe still with a large portion of their natural gas. They need Russia. That's why so many European nations are so very, very, um, well, I wouldn't say unwilling, but they're certainly trying to be very careful with the support of Ukraine. Because if Russia stops to flow, it does two things. It cripples Europe, but it also hurts Russia. But what will hurt Russia more 
is a competition that Israel will provide once that gas line is completed. Russia won't accept that. Iran hates Israel. You know for the reasons that we mentioned. They're Islamic Shiites and they want to destroy Israel. So does Turkey. So does Libya and Sudan. But Russia is a mix. Yes, they've got about 20% of their population is Muslim, but the majority are not. But what leads them into this conflict is not a religious drive, as it is with Iran and the others, but it is an economic. That's why he says, have you come to take plunder, verse 12, to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are inhabited. This is their drawing of Russia, God's drawing. It's an economic thing. It is based upon money. Not about religion, as far as they're concerned. They'll help them who are religious, who want to destroy Israel because of their religion. They will join forces together with them. Iran and Russia have already made several agreements militarily. Russia is already in Sudan, in Libya, establishing military bases there. So is Turkey. So is Iran. Sudan and Libya are breeding grounds for the enemies of Israel. They're all coming together. The stage is set. I've mentioned so many times before, the stage is being set. And that was the case. But not all the players were in place. Now they are. I think the time is near. How near? None of us can know. And what about the church? Are we involved in any of this? What about the nation of United States, are we involved in any of this? Those are questions that we really can't honestly answer matter-of-factly, yes or no. I'll give you my opinion. For what it's worth, it's just an opinion. The United States will not be involved in the Ezekiel War. Whether or not we're still even in existence is a question that I can't answer. I can suggest to you that and I have before, and I repeat it again, we either will not be able to because we will have been annihilated or at least weakened to the point where we isolate ourselves from the rest of the world or we will internally implode and we will not want to be supporting the nation of Israel. Already in this country, as well as everywhere else in the world, there are many, many places in our nation where the Palestinian Argument is being propagated in large protests in major cities throughout our land. We have issues with our southern border, with immigration. We have racial strife. We have an economy that's on the verge of collapse. We have many things that God can use, including natural disasters, that could hinder us from being able to help Israel or forcing us into a place where we will not want to. One of the things that must take place I believe also in the last days that needs to happen is recorded for us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 17, verse 1, where it says Damascus is going to become a ruinous heap in a day. That can happen, as far as I can tell, in only one way. That would happen if somebody dropped a bomb in the center of Damascus, a nuclear device. That would make that city no longer to be in existence. You realize that Damascus is one of the oldest cities in the world. Damascus has never been conquered, never been destroyed. 
It's always existed as a city. That's going to change according to Isaiah. It's part of the last days. When does it happen? Who's going to do it? We don't know. But I believe it could be a trigger for this war that's spoken of by Ezekiel. I believe there's another possibility that could trigger this war. And that could trigger the United States collapsing in this time when we are so powerful as a nation still, a superpower, the only superpower left in the world, so to speak. But we're losing our influence all around the world. But what if, just consider this, what if the Lord would take his church out of this world? What a novel idea. I would propose that if God asked me, I would suggest it very strongly. Lord, this would be perfect because all of the church would be gone and many people in the United States of America would be all of a sudden no longer around. What chaos would ensue? What a distraction that would be for those who were in power still, who were left behind. Oh, there will be a handful of perhaps senators and a couple of House representatives, at least two, that may be taken. (laughs) I hope there's more than that. But the point is, that could cause a great deal of chaos in this land. It could cause us to turn away from the nation of Israel because all that would be left are the progressives who like Palestinian authority better. Do you understand what's taking place? Do you see where we are? Do you understand that we are so very close to these things beginning to unfold? I don't know if the rapture is going to happen before the Damascus destruction or if the Ezekiel war takes place before the rapture. I'm convinced that the rapture takes place before the tribulation period comes. That's a period of seven years known as the days of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble. The tribulation, a seven-year period. Daniel spoke of it in chapter 9. That day is coming. It's part of the future. This war spoken of in chapter 38 is part of the future. The church is in existence today for such a time as this. Are you ready? Are you willing to be used by the Lord in these last hours? Do you want to know how you can represent your God in these last days to win souls for Jesus Christ, to shine the light that He so wants us to shine? Are you ready to represent Him as His ambassadors? Are you feeling like an overcomer today? Are you feeling like one who is known as more than a conqueror? Are you a faithful servant of the mysteries of God, a steward, rightly dividing the word of truth, so that you won't be ashamed when you stand before Him in that day when He does come for His church. I want to be. I want you all to be. And I make sure when I'm here to both before you to speak the truth of God's Word so that you can know what's to come. We don't know when, but we know it will. Are you ready? Are you focused on these things? Are you willing to give up All of what you have that you hold dear to yourself and instead cling to your God for everything that you need. And He will indeed provide. I know that to be the case because He always has protected His people. He always has been willing 
to use anyone who was willing to take a stand. In many places in the Word of God, we saw in our study the other night in the book of Joshua, one will be able to stand against a thousand. In the book of Psalms, in Psalm 91, one thousand will be able to fight against ten thousand. The implication is, in the Word of God, that though we be numbered only a few, God can use us mightily in the last days, as though we were many. Think of Gideon. He had 10,000 soldiers ready to go. God said, hey, that's too many. Take a few minutes and get rid of those who don't really feel like they can be safe and, and go to battle for fear. He finally whittled it down after a couple more incidences of God saying that's too many, down to 300 men. They faced 150,000 men with 300. And God said, that's all you need, Gideon, go for it. I find that that is the way God loves to work. Taking a few faithful and making it look as though we are a mighty, mighty army. With you and I, that's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Let's stand for Him today in these last hours. Let's proclaim the truth that we know. One of the things that Sandy said, I believe it's something that we should be doing on a regular basis if we are able to let people know, I stand for Israel. Because when I say that I stand for Israel and mean it with all my heart, then I know that I am participant of what God has told Abraham so many years before. You and I who do so will be blessed. I'm convinced of that. I hope you are too.